0: We'd like to welcome you back to part four of our fourth mega study that we've done on the alien disclosure agenda, <clears throat> and uh, the next we're just going to play a couple clips from a interview um, on coast to coast with John Lear, whose dad actually invented the Lear Jet, uh, and Richard C. Hoagland, and they're going to talk about the sp- secret space fleet that our government. Has. Now, Corey Good talks about this all the time, but you could say, "Yeah, well, Corey Good's a, a nutcase. He's he's some New ager that says he's going to the inner Earth and traveling around with on all these spaceships that are being shown all this stuff." Well, these guys were in high um, positions in our own government, very very high credibility. John Lear in particular, and um, you really can't say that about them. So, in other words, there's a lot of other people high-ranking military officials, that are also confirming that these programs have been in existence for decades. So I'm going to go ahead and roll this one, and um, we'll do commentary on the way.
1: There is a retired airline captain, former CIA pilot, as well as the son of the famous inventor of the Learjet. He is a Lockheed L-1011 captain and is highly regarded in aviation circles. He has flown more than 150 test aircraft and has won every award granted by the Federal Aviation Administration. John also holds 18 world speed records and has worked for 28 different aircraft corporations during the late 1980s into the early 1990s, John began coming forward with startling revelations concerning the subject of aerial phenomena and unidentified flying objects. He is our special guest tonight on Coast to Coast. John, my pleasure. How are you? George, it's an honor and a pleasure to uh, be on the show with you, and I'm great. The uh, disclosure briefing that I just heard that I played, uh, is that based on
2: things that are or things that could be? Most of that was real. Uh, in fact, all of it was real. There was a. If I had to make a change, I'd make the change, which isn't important about why they killed Kennedy. There are so many reasons they killed Kennedy, but uh, one of the the main thing, the reason they killed Kennedy, he, he was insisting on inspections of Demona, which was Israel's uh, nuclear uh, manufacturing plant, and uh, they couldn't have that, and so. Um, Assad in conjunction with uh, <clears throat> several guys at CIA, one of which was, uh, um, I'm trying to think of his name. Anyway, they got together and they, they planned that thing and uh, eliminated Kennedy. You know. Now, there's a few things that they left out in that uh, briefing for Art. And uh, one of them was that EBE-3, who was captured in 1953, uh, who they named J-Rod, um, help them build their own flying saucers.
0: Now the EB three, I think that's an extra biological. Way. It's it's like a it's like a gray alien, and if that's the gray alien they captured at Roswell, I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, they've tried to extract information whenever they're able to capture these entities, and get information on how to build, you know flying saucers, advanced technology, and things of this nature. I believe that's what he's in reference to there.
2: The United States government. Is that the one that the, the Dan Birch uh, Dan person Bush, is talking yeah, about? i from the... those tapes, and at first I thought that Dan Bursch stuff was, uh, was not real until I saw the videotapes of him, and I said, yes, yes, that's real. He was there. I know the protocol, and he was there, and, and uh, the stuff that he says is real. And later in the program, I'll tell you, Some of the stuff that uh, he is going to be talking about is not, it's disinformation, but uh, basically that's not his fault. By 1962, we had vehicles, uh, while they could not perform the faster than light speed of the alien vehicles, we could certainly get them to the moon in about an hour. Uh, Regular trips to Mars. uh
0: 1962, I believe is what he said. We've been going to the moon since 62, and probably before that. What's all this garbage about, you know, the moon landing in 1969? In well, that's for our benefit. That's for our entertainment. That's to keep our eyes fixed on that. The people in the know, from what I've heard for years, the people in the know know that the astronauts that go up into those uh, areas and stuff, they are they're basically, they refer to those types of things as like, you know, the rockets that went up to moon is buckets of bolts okay compared to the technology that they've got available and have had have had them for decades and you say well how did they get all that well again it was that whole grenada treaty which is where we started acquiring all of this advanced technology in exchange for them them the nephilim essentially um disguised as aliens being able to experiment on our population and that population has been abducted and experimented to the tune of anywhere from two to four percent of our population for decades they're being abducted to this day there's a gigantic breeding program that has went on all along the way and those entities that are coming forth from the breeding program are being reintroduced back into society in a covert manner and that is what we're going to talk about in a little bit i don't know two maybe i don't know how many parts away that we'll get into that then and that's on the book that i had uh, the audiobook that i had recently heard and we're going to go into depth on that subject and the, and the, and the information there is very very matter of fact it's it's you know so all of this the, the reason i do these studies in this mega format is so much of this stuff ties together and if I cover it all in one, like if I do an eight or nine part, I, so much of what we're covering cross-confirms it. So let's go forward.
2: Uh, we were making regu- regular trips to Mars in 1966. Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo were all cover missions, and most of the astronauts knew it. They were cover missions. They were They
0: were there for the benefit of the public. Look at what we're doing. We're going into space. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're spending all these millions of dollars when we don't need to, when we're already going there. You know,
2: And on January 27, 1967, a fire in Apollo 1 atop the spacecraft, uh, I think it was Pad 39A, um, killed Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee, and one other astronaut. But this fourth astronaut was not one that we knew. The fourth guy was one of the secret astronaut corps that was formed along with the astronaut corps that we uh, knew about. The difference being that Uh, the astronauts in the Secret Corps were going to the Moon in 1962, while the public was watching the Mercury astronauts circle the globe. Oh, really? And after constructing various buildings and mining facilities by 1966, we landed on Mars. And um, since then, we have explored most of the planets in our solar system and found life similar uh, to us on all of them. Now, one interesting thing, George, remember Mars Rover
0: Okay, so I don't know where he's going with that, Where's to say, oh, they're civilizations. Or is it the fact that these Nephilim have, have actually abducted these people, okay, off Earth and taken them off world to do whatever thing they're required to do? Slave camps, work camps. I've heard a lot about that, that they have done this. So it doesn't mean that those planets were, were, had humans on them, like for eons or whatever, it's most likely that these these alien nephalem entities with their technology just whisk them to an off and under there's no more prying eyes. There's no more chance of really being caught if they're off world. Is I think where he's going with that. Now remember, John Lear's not a Christian. Okay, so you have to take a lot of what these guys will say with a grain of salt. They talk about remote viewing, remote viewing straight for the pit of hell. Remote viewing's just a notch below astral projection. Okay, so they're deceived individuals, okay, but I don't believe they're deceived about all the information that they're that they're trying to disseminate, though.
2: A few years ago, had the dust settle on the solar panels, and it it, uh, couldn't recharge its battery. Right, it It looked looked like like it was going to die, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was uh, it was the, the dust was gone. And uh, the batteries recharged and everything was normal. Right,
1: and they blamed some kind of wind, uh, dust
2: devil that knocked it off or something. Well, what really happened was that was our secret astronaut corps up there with uh, paper towels and wind windexes. <laughs> John, you believe that one? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the guy that told...
0: In other words, we had a space rover up on Mars, okay, and obviously we didn't supposedly have any people up there. And it got like space dust on it and all this stuff happened and the batteries died. And then all of a sudden the next day it was working. And and the solar panels were cleaned and everything was cleaned and, and the batteries were charged. And they were like it was some whatever anomaly that caused this. Well, actually it was our guys that were already up there that went and cleaned it and got it working. And then they blamed it on something else. Now, again, I've heard a lot about this that we've got whole colonies of people on Mars. Okay, and um, (laughs) I'm just telling you, I've heard it from so many different sources, and there's a lot of other very, very um, there's other evil, wicked factions up there, reptilians, uh, what they would refer to as insectoids. uh, There, then they occupy parts of Mars as well, and this goes for a lot of other planets as well. Okay, so there's a lot to this. Again, I can't ever firsthand verify. I'm just telling you from a lot of different unrelated sources. I'm hearing very similar stories.
2: Me, that who is not uh, living anymore. When I had expressed disbelief in some of the stuff, or you know, not expressed disbelief. I said, you know, uh, uh, it, it, are you sure this is true? And he told the Mar- Mars rover story. He said, yeah, that's who went up and cleaned it.
1: Why would... All right, here, let me ask you this, John, and and we're going to get into a lot of interesting things with you tonight, and you've got credentials all the way down your arm, and I want everybody to understand that, because I'm going to ask you some specifics of your life. I want them to understand who you are, who we're talking to tonight. Why would they even need rovers there if we had
2: astronauts already on the planet? It's part of the the cover-up. Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, the space shuttle... It's all to keep our eye on that while the other stuff is going on. A huge, bigger picture, no Huge, doubt. huge, bigger picture. All right.
0: Let's... Okay, so they go on for the next... Oh, I, I played about 5 minute, 15 second mark. They go on for the next... Up until about the 42 plus minute mark where they're talking about John's life and his dad who invented the Learjet and all so, a lot of the stuff he saw in the military and things of that nature. And a lot of it is... It's very interesting, but it's not, I'm just trying to get you the, give you the, uh, the filet mignon of the, of the interview, like, like the most important parts. And then he, he gets to the point where we're going to play right now, where he brings on, I believe Richard Hoagland and him and John Lear discuss other things that are going on. So we're going to play, I don't know, roughly 10 minutes of that uh, right now as well. Uh, of
1: some of the, uh, we'll do a mini roundtable discussion for a little bit right now. Hey, Richard, how are you? Hey, good evening, George. Good. You know, Richard, I wanted you to be part of this uh, uh, primarily because I've always heard that uh, you've been very important for John and some of his work and research. And years ago, when you started talking about some structures that you believed were not on just Mars, but on the moon, that I, I think, John, and I'll let you speak for yourself on this. How influential has uh, Mr. Hoagland been for you?
2: Well, very influential. When I saw the Moose Mars connection, I was flabbergasted. This was the most interesting thing I ever saw in my life, and that's what made me uh, start uh, looking for this stuff. And I happened, just by accident, to get two photos out of NASA that were unretouched. One was the north face of uh, the uh, crater Copernicus, Mm -hmm. and the other was a photo taken by um, Lick Observatory in 1947. And uh, I want to make it clear that I do not believe that, Hoagland, that uh, Richard believes any of this stuff about souls. Uh, <laughs> that's my idea, not his. What I'm saying is Richard found the uh, uh, that uh, thing in the, in the sinus med-eye and found the picture of it, which, uh,
3: which Well, I have a little surprise for you, John, tonight. I just uh, earlier this evening got off the phone with my assistant, Carrie, Carrie Clark, who was a photo expert in New York. And she did some of the early work on the original Apollo data that we procured out of Houston, out of the LPL, out of the Goddard National Space Science Data Center. And she has found a print for you of this several-mile-high glass tower, this ruin that I found on 84M, which is one of the lunar orbiter shots taken back in, I think, 1966. So okay. you will be getting that. Um, Fantastic. Exactly. you make making good on your promise that you made four months ago, right? <laughs> well, she's been looking. She's been on the road. And she, <laughs> we have this incredible archive, and we we kind of distributed it around the country. You know, Steve Troy has parts of it. I have parts of it. Other people have parts of it. Carrie has parts of it. And we had to go finding, because these are all analog prints. There's nothing computerized, nothing digitized. These are the original analog uh, images that came down from both the, the unmanned lunar orbiters in the 60s, and as well as the Apollo Hasselblad, another film from later in the 60s and the early 70s. So you will be getting that. Now, George, I have something to announce. Okay, go ahead. Uh, This fall in Southern California, just about two hours east of Los Angeles, I'm going to be doing the first of an experimental series of retreats where we're going to have like four days to get people together and really go through where we are on the eve of some major breakthroughs that I think are coming. And I'm going to be revealing and publicizing and unveiling some absolutely mind-blowing lunar imagery that unquestionably answers the question that one of your callers in the first hour had, did we go to the moon? Yes, ma'am, we went and we got the photographic proof. And, John, it is going to blow your socks off when you see what it is we found. I can hardly wait. And it is in color. It is corroborated. It is in the official database. It's available for anybody to go check. And it it raises so many profound implications as to who has known what and when. And I I appreciate that you kind of separate me from your theories as to what all this stuff means.
0: Okay, now I covered this, I believe, in the last mega-study that... And Corey Good had gotten into that and other people have gotten into it, that we we do have at least one large base on the dark side of the moon. And um, it's kind of like a international federation where the countries different countries russia united states or whatever kind of go up there and have and collaborate okay it's more of like a united nations type of base like that and it's also a base for as a launching pad point for a lot of their deep space missions okay they're initiated from that base on the dark side of the moon from what i've heard that's what they've got Now, I'm not to say there's not other stuff going on on the moon, but that's one of the bigger things.
3: But in terms of the evidence, gentlemen, there is no question that NASA has been hiding not only the stuff on Mars, but an extraordinary ancient set of ruins right next door on the moon. And I fully concur with John that there are two space programs. There is a secret program. There's the official program, which is the cover. And when you say, well, why would you spend $16 billion a year on a cover? Well, it's not their money. It's our money. Don't care how much they spend, as long as they keep us in the dark.
1: Well, why don't we see those rocket ships going up for the secret
3: program? Because they're not rockets. George, come on. What are they? They're electrogravitic anti-gravity spacecraft that, you know, Tim Ventura and I have been discussing, which the Russians are discussing in the open literature, which are visible on the STS-80 and 48 videos, that I have provided to Art, and I guess you've probably seen them, yes, too. Yes, I've seen them. Whitley, you know, used one of them, I think, on his NBC program some years ago. Um, there's a concurrence between the two programs, but, I mean, my own intel sources, of which I have a few and they're very reliable, have unquestionably verified that there are two programs. Now, this Britisher, this Gary McKinnon, who was, uh, you yeah, know... Yeah, he's the, the, hacker, guy, the, the hacker, the hacker, the computer hacker. hacker. Yeah, who, who broke into NASA computers... He found, years ago, pilot lists, officers' lists, the squadron names, the names of their ships, all this stuff, and that's why we're throwing the book at him, and we're going to give him 70 years as a lesson to anybody else, don't do this or we'll put you away and throw away the key. And this is, I mean, this is treason. This is a national disgrace, and I'm so glad that John is on the show tonight talking about it because the more of us that talk about it, seriously and point out that there are two programs and all the astronauts risking their lives in this rat trap called the shuttle are basically doing it because they believe in God and country and how the hell they wind up going up on that thing when there is real technology to go all over the solar system. It, It has to be because someone appeals to their higher patriotic purpose and they say, mankind needs you to do this. Well, mankind doesn't.
0: Okay. And again two programs, one real one where we're actually we've got technology and I'm looking at the, the next report, advanced. US space technology 50 to 100 years ahead of current. okay. Two programs, two space programs. the one that's presented through NASA, which is the get on the buckets of bolts, fly on the on the uh, jet fuel whatever um, rocket up into space and risk getting blown up, and it's antiquated, it's just a joke, compared to what we really have at our disposal, which is the real space program, where they've been going, you know, to like Mars since 1962, according to what they're saying. And again, when did all this happen? All this technological explosion is when we went in, and we got in bed, essentially, with these Nephilim, that had this advanced technology, and just like it was in the days of Noah, according to the book of Enoch, where they were teaching, you know, mankind all the stuff about metallurgy and teaching the women all the things of witchcraft, it's just progressed into this now. These fallen angels are at a very, very high level. They at one time occupied heaven. They have a very, very advanced knowledge base. Satan is, was probably the highest angelic created creature ever. They have a lot of goodies they can dangle in front of mankind. And so this is where we've got this stuff. This is why we've been able to do this. So the one program is just like Hollywood. It's basically there just to entertain us and, and to keep us, oh, wow, we're making these little advancements when the reality is, is we've already been doing this stuff. The technology we've got is a 50 to 100 years that we're already using, but it's not given to the general public. They do not want the general public to know about it or to be able to benefit from it because if, if we knew they had it, they would the general public would say well, well hold on why aren't we why aren't we getting any benefit from this why are just you getting the benefit they don't want that they want to keep us dumbed down okay so th- this is what's going on and it's becoming more increasingly obvious to me when i first started coming out with this information i was i had a lot of trepidation i'm like ah hell man what you know i'm going to be ridiculed or mocked or whatever fight know, it's like now i don't even it's it's so matter of fact i've i've seen so much cross confirmation of this so many high level people in the space programs are coming out about this and it's and again this is by design this is part of the soft disclosure that i've been talking about this is incrementalism okay so to soften the blow as opposed to just having everything come out with a 30 mile mothership over, over you know, the cities. This is to soften the landing Why they're letting this all come out.
3: These rogue groups are running the program, and even Ed Mitchell, you know, the Apollo 14 astronaut yes. who walks on the moon, has said again and again and again that the rogue groups have taken over the programs, and they're running the show. You agree with all this, John Lear? Absolutely.
0: Well, Corey Good would agree with him, too. That there's, there's these different factions, and you would call it the, the top of the Illuminati, evil, wicked cabal food chain, that are actually running the majority of the secret space programs. And they do not want humanity to be able to benefit from the technology and from these types of things. And, and this is what Stephen Greer and those guys, it's all about the disclosure, it's all about the technologies, it's all about getting the goodies, you know, for humanity, okay, but the problem is is both sides of that are a very godless faction they're not biblically based so you know that's where i try to interject the bible into this conversation and and look at it from that standpoint
2: richard is right on right dead center
0: you know it's pretty startling i think just to even imagine this is an older interview too this just didn't happen um it was released in 2016, it says, but it was a while ago that this actually interview happened. that this could be going on.
3: Well, we I mean, had so much evidence over so many years, and the really pernicious part, George, is you've got to ask yourself, you know, they used to say that the only difference between men and boys was the price of their toys. Yeah. These are very pricey toys. Then you have to ask the question, if they're secret and they're in the hands of people that have no accountability... And we just saw today what happens when you have government agencies running loose with no accountability. Every single phone call recorded since, since 2001 by well, the NSA. Do
1: you believe, because I, I got to get into this with John soon about his belief in life on the planets in the solar system, but do you, Richard, believe that these structures on the moon may have been the ones that Ingo Swan has always said that he saw during his remote viewing episodes?
3: Yeah, because he saw things on the moon and on Mars.
0: You know, and okay, th- we're going to talk about remote viewing in a second because this is a, a keystone, cornerstone of some of their, some of their research.
3: Some of the things on Mars. Remember, even even Dame says some of the stuff on Mars is still quote alive.
0: Okay, Edward General Ed Dames, that nut job, devil, uh, in the in the military, high level military that was in charge of the remote viewing. I believe Stubblebine was involved with that too. That's why I don't. When I get stuff about, uh. Rima Labo and Stubblebine, her husband, General Stubblebine, I always am quick to point out that that is, uh, I would be very, very, very highly cautious of anything coming from them.
3: Meaning it's ticking, it's technology that's still functioning, and our models cover that. You know, the hyperdimensional physics says you can produce technology that will last, you know, hundreds of thousands, not millions of years because you're not using any known power sources the stuff doesn't have friction, it doesn't wear out, it doesn't corrode. So, yes, you can certainly envision robotic emplacements of things that are still active. We see in these photographs ruin after ruin after ruin. I mean, when I when, when you come to Joshua Tree and on the Columbus Day weekend, which is a four-day weekend, we're going to do this up really well in the desert with a lot of interesting material, with enough time to go through it, I am going to show you stuff on the moon that will knock your socks off.
1: All right. All right, John Lear, what about the propulsion of these vehicles?
0: I don't know if that means they're going to look through a telescope at Joshua Tree National Park or whether he's going to show them pictures. I'm not 100% sure, but
1: anyway. If there's this other
2: program underway,
1: where where are they taking off from? 51?
2: Uh, No, uh, the the only place that I know for sure is Sandia, uh, there uh, north of uh,
3: Kirtland. So
0: in other words, are they taking off from Area 51? He says no, they're taking off this other place. Air
3: Force Base i also looked to the outback of Australia, gentlemen.
0: Yeah. In other words, where's the secret space program taken? Now, here's another thing. I, The, the technology that they've got available is, um, a lot of it, I really do believe, and again, you have uh, the credits of Stargate SG, SGI, where they've got the Stargate program, and, and we've got into that, and the, the Department of Defense literally helped with the filming of, of Stargate SG-1. You look at the end credits, they're listed there. Why, why would the Department of Defense, the U.S. Department of Defense, help make a sci-fi show? Then you got Stargate Atlantis, and you have these things. And a lot of the ships that they were privy to in the Stargate series had a cloaking capability, meaning they cloak as soon as they you know, uh, leave, and you cannot see them. So, Hellywood is indicating to us, I believe, to a large extent, what the capabilities they have. So, if they've got cloaking capability, we would never see them take off for land.
3: The middle of a continent which has only 13 million people, and most of them are Aborigines? See, again, they're, they're saying, well,
0: we would see them if they were taking on and off. Well, okay, they're saying, well, if it was in a remote enough location, you'd never see them. No, no, no. If they had cloaking capability, they could take off in the middle of the city, and you wouldn't see them. Cumberland, so they're not getting into that, and I think they're missing the boat on that one.
3: Yeah, you know, you could you could do you you could create entire cities, George, in the middle of of uh, Australia, and no one would ever know. But we do have reports, Aboriginal reports, of very strange things happening. That's where Pine Gap is located. Remember that yeah. facility? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Australia is the place because it's literally on the opposite sides of the planet from 535 people who are supposed to be minding the store and have been looking the other way for 50 years.
1: All right, Richard. Well, get those pictures to John, because I'm sure he'll love to see them. <laughs> thanks, Richard. All Me right, too. Richard. Thanks.
0: Okay, so that's all I'm going to play on, on that particular um, interview. Uh, hopefully that gives you a little more, as far as more cross-confirmation, more pieces of the puzzle, more very matter-of-fact discussion about what we're talking about here. Um, now, to counter... to add to a little bit I posted my study here called Exposing the Strong Delusion ET, Aliens, UFOs, Nephilim and the Grenada Treaty if you want to know more about this Grenada Treaty I think it's in part 5 or 6 but I gave you all 6 parts here just so if you want to know then I also did another study regarding remote viewing and I give you the link to that and it's called Remote Viewing Exposed in Jesus Christ's Existence Proven as a Historical and Biblical Fact okay so People say, oh, Jesus never existed, all this other stuff. Well, we totally debunk that notion because his existence is a confirmed historical fact, and we can prove that. So I'm just going to read you the table of contents for this teaching remote viewing exposed. Remote viewing is basically a notch, again, above astral projection. You're not literally going out of body and your spirit is going to the location, but you're staying in body and you're remotely viewing some foreign location and our government has spent millions of dollars into these programs training certain people that have these uh, that are more prone to these psychic abilities to do this and there's general Stubblebine, major ed dames these are guys that have been in charge of these programs are we have our government has spent millions doing this it's not something that's a rumor it's a fact and it's totally straight from the pit of hell it's just like the necromancy and the whole fortune telling and all that stuff that's forbidden in the bible okay you don't want to mess with remote viewing and and we've and i get into that in depth though there in this teaching um the next topic is the u.s government's remote viewing cult uh then lies from the pit of hell courtney brown phd and his evil crucifixion ruse Blasphemy they're Alert, The Lost Tomb of Jesus, that was one of the shows that came out trying to debunk Jesus or say, painting some weird thing about him. Um, the Lost Tomb of Jesus directed by 33rd Degree Freemason, an occultist. And then we get into the Bloodline show and the Da Vinci Code, Attack on Jesus Christ. Then I get into the Shroud of Turin, biblically debunked. We, we can biblically easily debunk the Shroud of Turin, okay, that Catholic artifact. Um i've done a whole teaching on that just ken turin t-u-r-i-n in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com I, I just used the bible to do it uh then jesus christ's existence proven to be an undeniable historical fact and biblical fact and the, what they call the law of prob- probability we get into um, a lot of the prophecies that jesus fulfilled and prove that there's no way he could have come to this earth in the way that he did fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies. That it, it, there's no way that it could have all just been by chance. From a probability, from a scientific standpoint. It's, it's impossible. Um, and then scientific and mathematical proof that the Bible prophecy is true and accurate. And then the amazing scientific accuracy of the Bible's oldest book. And then Ancient Evidence for Jesus Christ from Non-Christian Sources, because there was a lot of non-Christians that wrote about him as well. And then the last part is Jesus Fulfilled Messianic Prophecies, Old and New Testament Proof in scriptures. So I did that one back in 2012. So I give you that link. Okay, let's go to the next point here. And this one is entitled Phil Schneider's Alien Firefight at Secret Underground Military Base Reexamined. Now, Phil Schneider uh was killed and they're going to talk about that he was one of the first whistleblowers that came out regarding the underground bases that he helped construct in america and um i do not detect guile in this man every time i've ever heard him speak he's extremely matter-of-fact and he ended up paying for this information with his life and man does he have the scars to prove the firefight he was in his fingers were blown off they look like they're melted off his hand and when you watch interviews old interviews of him you can still see that they're they're blown off i mean this guy i really truly believe was the real deal and um i'm I'm gonna go ahead and then uh well it's about 10 minutes The story of Phil Schneider from his birth all the way to his untimely death has sparked controversy within the UFO community for years. Now, again, the title of this video is The Alien Firefight at Secret Military Base Rexamined. Examined. This is near the Dulce base in Dulce, New Mexico that, um, uh, that happened, okay, back in, I believe, the 70s, and Phil Schneider was a part of this firefight, okay, um, so I'm just looking at text on the screen right now, and I already read that. Working as a structural engineer for the U.S. government, Phil was deeply involved with the creation of many well-known secret deep underground bases. It's horrible. They've got a a video right next to this, and it shows his dead body on the autopsy table. Um, Anyway... In 1979, Philip was contacted to help in the construction of an underground addition to the notorious Dulce Base in New Mexico. Okay, so it was an underground addition, okay? This was 79. His main job was to sample the underground rock types and determine the best way to drill through it and remove it. Cuz that's what he did. That was his job. what would happen next has left the shockwaves through the disclosure movement. This is an excerpt from a lecture Phil gave shortly before his death. So we're actually going to hear him now. Talk.
4: Now, another thing I want to reach to you is that during the unbelievable part, I was involved in building another base onto... In inside of Dulce, New Mexico, which is Los Alamos laboratory. It's a biological laboratory. So in the southwest part of the Archuleta Mesa, uh, we built an underground facility about a part of three cubic miles hollowed out underground. Then to the southwest of that, we built, we were, bit, we were in the process of the early stages of building the drill four large uh, tunnel-like holes. Some of them ran two and a half miles under surface. Uh, number the early at that time. Number of the original uh, uh, wells or, dr- or drilling uh, machines that were used were were uh, uh, at the rate of up uh, two miles a day. It was fairly rapid. The equipment kept coming up broken, so we wanted to go down. We wanted to send somebody down there, a human observer or human observers, in this case, to find out what was going on. Well, to our total
0: surprise, first of all, the government... So they were drilling to try to build this addition to the Dulce Underground Base. They kept drilling, and and their equipment kept coming up broken. So they wanted to send a human observer down there to see what was actually going on.
4: Knew all about it. They
0: didn't tell anybody. Uh, So in other words, the government knew what was going on. They just kind of wanted to see, you know... How how many uh, of us they could kill, I guess. I don't know. It's maybe a fun thing. I, I don't know. Our sick government. I have no idea.
4: When I saw Green Beret and Black Beret people encamped inside of our geologist camp, I knew something was up. The gig was up. First of all, I knew all about the alien agenda. I'll explain that in a few minutes. The large alien grave... Now,
0: obviously, this was filmed before Phil's death, Okay. But this is an old tape. that He was one of the first guys. See, the people that really very, like anybody like him, a whistleblower, back in the day, back in like the 80s, if they tried to, it was basically they were as good as dead. Now they've gotten so far along with their agenda that those types of people, those types of whistleblowers, and again, we're having soft disclosure that is being encouraged, okay? That's not really happening so much now. Because they're so far along with their plan, they figured, oh, you know, let them be warned. It's a Kabbalistic principle. We'll 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 let them. But back then you did this. You're gonna die. Unless God protected you. And I don't think Phil was a Christian. Okay? So so I just have so much compassion for this guy. Because I really believe he was the real deal. And he it wasn't like he was trying to get rich. And they killed him. And it's just it it's uh, it's it's gut wrenching to me what they did to them.
4: Had been encamped there for as best as believed possible about four or five hundred years. It had been one of their internal bases. So, in other words,
0: an underground base that these reptilian or whatever type creatures had had underground for a long time. And there's a lot of Indian legends of the Indians that were here when the Spanish conquistadors first came. Um, where they talked a lot about underground uh, entities that would come up and interact with Indians, and sometimes they were um, more friendly, sometimes they were not, sometimes they demanded worship. It just depended.
4: And we, we drilled holes right on top of it. All the stinking air, all the black sooty air came right out as soon as one, the first hole was sunk and all this soot came up. And, well, that's when it all, all the hell broke loose, really, all started. Anyway, after we drilled all four holes, it took about a, two days to drill all four of them. And when you build an underground base, you drill four basic holes, and you build you, called stoves or cross-member holes across, and then you bla- use blasting equipment, you know, special blasting equipment, by the analyzation of the rock formation. And you literally blast out or tunnel out or, or deflagrate or melt rock out to build the large rooms that are required for this underground base. Well, in this process, I was lowered down the basket. This is from an an expo, like a, from 1995.
0: I believe it's right before he, he, uh, they killed him.
4: One of these holes, and about from me to this elderly woman here in the front was sitting a seven-foot-tall alien gray, the stench was worse than the worst garbage. Okay,
0: so he lowered him. They lowered him down into one of these holes, and he from here he said about seven feet was a, a large gray um, alien type nephilim creature, and and this is what Phil saw when he was lowered down into the hole.
4: And you can imagine uh, the person was that the entity was absolutely horrible. I didn't waste any time. to reach for my pistol at that time. As an engineer, I didn't have time to carry all a folder or all of one of these big the submachine guns that all the sea spray and the yellow fruit and the, all the uh, outer perimeter and inner perimeter security people carried. I carried old Walter PPK pistol with a nine shot clip. And this is in late August of 1979. Now you got a regular suit of clothes you got a regular clothes on plus you're in a almost like a space suit environment and you're reaching for a gun. It's, it's not the easiest thing to do and then to pop a clip in it and start shooting and I killed two of them, yes they're mortal and they do die however in the process uh, one of them did this all I remember is that he just kind of waved his hand in front of his chest and the next thing I know this blue beam hit me and just literally opened me up like a fish and burnt, burnt my fingers right off of me. I mean he's showing his hand okay so if you didn't hear
0: that he basically had a Walter PPk nine shot uh drew it killed two of them he said and then I don't know one of them waved his hand over its chest and it put out this energy beam and it said it opened him up like a fish split him wide open blew his fingers off I mean he's showing his hands he's got nubs. On his left hand. I mean it blew. I mean he's got the battle scars
4: man. To prove this stuff. Is what I'm saying to you. And it was some form of electrical force. Because the. Kind of like it being hit by a lightning bolt. burned all my toenails off of me. completely crispy crittered my left foot. Burnt the shoe right off of me. Um. All I remember is the smoking remains And I'm laying almost I'm still conscious but in and out of I didn't remember much And there was a, a green beret That was right behind me That risked his life In fact he died But he risked his life He shoved me back in the basket And hit the button And took me up
0: So there was a basket The green beret shoved him back into it And they took him
4: up I wouldn't be alive talking to you today wasn't for him I'm forever indebted he lost his life 66 secret service agents green berets black berets crack troops lost their lives because the government our United States government lied did not tell us anything about the alien threat there's a war underneath there and I'm talking dead serious it's been going on since that time since Late August of 1979, our military, the Russian military, basically the militaries of the world, have been in constant conflict with the outer space alien. The- okay, now he's referring to his outer
0: space, and that's that's the whole narrative that's painted, okay? And and I don't I don't buy into that. I think that yes, they, they have bases on other planets and things of this nature, and they probably have the ability to go to other star systems. But I believe this is a result of of the what was started here, you know, going all the way back to Genesis 6 with the Nephilim and and with these hybridization programs and, and only God knows. And, and so much of the time these things are of a of a reptilian nature, and you look at what was the serpent. He was a reptile. So I think it relates to that. But if we start buying into that other narrative like oh they're from other okay well how do we figure that into the bible how does that work and and again a lot of that i believe is a lie in order to get us focused on oh they're from all these star systems whatever away and they're coming here and and you know they are doing this all independent of god and all these other things and I, I don't i just don't buy into
4: that the small gray the large gray the reptilians the whole thing there are 11 there are 11 distinct races of aliens two are benevolent one had to leave here in a hurry because
0: i don't believe any of them are benevolent i think they're all straight from the pit of hell and a lot of them come as the good cops oh we're here to give you to your all of them will lie to you is basically what it boils down even the supposed good ones like the nordics and them, oh, we're here to take you to your next step on your on the evolutionary rung, you know. That is all a, a, a lie and a ploy just to get you into hell. So none of them are benevolent. They're all straight from the pit of hell. It's just some some appears good cops, and a lot of them appears bad cops.
4: It's the whole scenario there. The world is under attack, both on the surface of well, underground there, the Pleiadesians. We're familiar, maybe some of you are familiar with that. Uh, Would some of you raise your hands who have heard of Billy Meyer and uh, some of the, uh, well, very good, about half the group. Well, Billy Meyer is one of these lucky people that they figured, well, he's kind of a simple type. We'll show him everything. Well, these are the benevolent aliens, and they've been here helping us. In fact, I I have a picture. Let me reach for it here. I have a picture of one of the aliens been working for the United States Pentagon for the last 58 years. His name is Val, Val Valiant Thor. He's right
0: here. He's got a black and white picture. He's showing the, the crowd. My father in the background. See, his dad was very, very high-level military, too, and this is probably how he got into this program where he could build these underground bases because of his contacts he had with his dad. They figured that if his dad could be trusted, his son could be trusted to work on
4: these types of installations. This whole place, the ready room of the USS Eldridge, Al like, uh, has probably explained, or maybe even shown you this picture. There's a list of the, some of the notable people in it. they are all the atomic bomb scientists of the day, all the uh, time variant uh, experimentalists of the day, all the top physicists, of, of that particular day And they were
0: working with these alien entities The ones that either were working with us Maybe in exchange for uh, Whatever, them abducting humans Maybe some of these we had captured I, I don't know But
4: that's how they were working with them this was, in, this was in August of 1943 Now this guy Has not changed one iota In 58 years Started work He came here, crashed here, or whatever Whether he's under duress or not we started work for our U.S. Navy and military operations in nineteen thirty-seven. Uh, either thirty-seven or thirty-eight is what I've been
0: told. Thirty-seven or thirty-eight. Now we're really going back, working with our government. Whatever craft this entity was in crashed. He doesn't age. Um, working with our government, and this is where again we're we're getting. They're working with the um, nuclear scientists and the physicists. And again, it wasn't long, you know after that that we had the nuclear bomb
4: so it's for 58 years this man's been employed probably under duress if you don't do as we say we're just gonna use you for alien bait or something I don't know but anyway he basically hasn't changed he lives for 490 years so what he says his lifespan is now He's supposedly a semi-benevolent. He's a human-looking type person. He has six fingers and six toes. (laughs) Imagine that. He's got one oversized heart, one lung, giant lung. Uh, His blood vessels are bigger. He's got copper oxide for blood similar to an octopus. Uh, His brain capacity 300 centimeters greater than ours. He has a thinking capacity, IQ, IQ. If, it, if you were to measure it, be totally off the scale. It would be about a 1,200 IQ. Um, he speaks 100 languages, fluently alien as well as others. Um, he's a remarkable person. I had a chance to meet him one time. He's not a person. He's a Nephilim.
0: Philip was found dead in his apartment on January 17, 1996. That was in '95 when we heard him speak. What was said to be a suicide at first would, further upon investigation, appear to be murder by strangulation using a rubber hose wrapped tightly around his neck th- three times. Yeah, he 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 suicided himself by using I, I think it was a catheter hose. Um, and this autopsy picture I'm looking at here, you can actually see the hose uh, at the bottom of his chin. This proves suspicious for a suicide, as Phil was missing most of the fingers on the left hand which we just saw that for a fact in well if you were watching if you end up watching you'll see his fingers look like they're melted off his hand and he could not have wrapped the hose around his neck in such a manner he owned a nine millimeter pistol and had access to large amounts of prescription medication which would have provided a much quicker and painless death had he so chosen to kill himself why would he do that why would he hang himself with a rubber catheter wrapped around his neck three times that doesn't even make any sense they killed the guy lastly phil had no reason or wanting to take his life he loved his family and he dedicated his life to exposing the truth behind the secret government programs and ultimately he died because of it so that's phil schneider there's there's another one he was one of the very 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 first whistleblowers that there was um i'm going to go ahead and end part 4 here and we'll go to the fifth part cuz we're going to change gears we're gonna get into now um, some of the recent encounters uh, regarding Bigfoot with uh, a listener, and um, we're gonna get into that subject. It's kind of so we're gonna change gears. So I'm gonna stop here. We will go to part five next. God bless you.